0: this episode of the pbm reform podcast series we celebrate our 20th episode driving education on new pharmacy insurance benefit models and exposing the unethical pbm practices of the three largest pbms processing more than 70 percent of our nation's prescription benefits special thank you to pharmacists united for truth and transparency and the putcast team for all your work on this series today's special episode is with marshall allen Marshall is a reporter for the ProPublica, where he covers the healthcare industry. He is a Pulitzer Prize finalist and a recipient of the Harvard Kennedy School's Goldsmith Prize for Investigative Reporting. Marshall's new book, Never Pay the First Bill, and other ways to fight the healthcare system and win, is a deep dive into our current healthcare system's purposeful design to fleece Americans for profit and not healthcare. Listen and share this special episode, and we thank you for subscribing to the Pharmacy Podcast Network on all podcast directories.
1: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
2: Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system which supports our independent. And in community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care.
3: From award-winning ProPublica reporter Marshall Allen, a primer for anyone who wants to fight the predatory healthcare systems and win, is a guest today uh, in an upcoming book that's coming out called Never Pay the First Bill and Other Ways to Fight the Healthcare System and Win. Why are we featuring... Marshall today is because we are deep into PBM reform and the PBM reform podcast series has been trailing and following some of the most uh, innovative and aggressive and intelligent providers of healthcare that focus on patients first and um, profiteering second and profit second, which we'll get into the difference between those two terms But I'm excited to welcome uh, Marshall Allen to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation, our PBM Reform Podcast Series. Welcome, Marshall. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I also want to re-welcome no strangers to the Pharmacy Podcast Network, Mr. Scott Newman. He is owner at Newman Family Pharmacy. Welcome, Scott.
4: Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me.
3: And the one and only Monique Whitney, um, she commands uh, one of the most powerful advocacy organizations helping to put things in the right light in, in placing that patient first, our pharmacists uh, second, and the survival of community pharmacy from Pharmacists for Truth and Transparency, known as PUT, and one of the hosts of the podcast. Monique Whitney. Welcome back, Monique.
1: Thank you, Todd. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Really happy to be here.
3: So I was excited to be um, to be contacted um, by Marshall Allen's team. and I get lots of these requests from PR organizations. And I just don't have the time, not because I'm not interested. So if you're listening to this podcast and you are in PR, keep sending those requests to me. And if we can get to them, we definitely do. But this came across different because of the um, the battle that we're in right now. The state Medicaid systems are in full attack. Knowing that their Medicaid dollars are not being spent on the care for their covered lives, and the taxpayers of those states. Recently, Mississippi came out with an amazing outcome in their Medicaid system, um, going after the existing PBMs that are there in place for that status quo um, moves that they that they make on purpose, and it's really uh, placing the uh, profiteering of of people's money rather than what we say is there's nothing wrong with making a profit if you're giving a service that that makes a, a lot of sense. And this book, uh, Marshall, is, is, we're all excited. We can't wait till it comes out. I want to turn things over to you to give our listeners, if they don't know who Marshall Allen is, a little bit about your background as an American journalist with ProPublica, as well as your investigating of other facets of health care insurance, as well as the summary of this book.
5: Thank you so much, Uh, it's really an honor to be here. Um, I have been investigating as a journalist our healthcare industry for the last 15 years. And I've always been interested in our healthcare system from the point of view of the patient. For the last decade, I've been at ProPublica. ProPublica is the largest or one of the largest investigative news organizations in the country. And I've been there for a decade now and the thing I love about working at ProPublica is it gives me the time necessary to dig deep on these issues and do a truly independent investigation of what's going on, talk to all the different stakeholders involved including the patients to see how these things affect patients, and then do a thorough investigation and publish an unflinching story or stories about whatever we find. And so I, I really don't have any dog in the fight here other than what's in the best interest of the public. And so I, after doing years of, of reporting about quality, patient safety, and cost issues in healthcare, I decided a few years ago to do a deep, deep dive on the area of health insurance, and especially on the question of why working Americans are required to pay so much more than Medicare patients or med- Medicaid are also um, working Americans, but I mean like the middle class, you know, people who don't qualify for Medicaid who are in these employer sponsored health plans. I was really interested in this issue of why do we pay so much more than the citizens of any other country and why are we getting so little in return? For anybody who's been in the workforce for any amount of time, You can just look back, think about every year how you get that letter from your insurance company or from your HR department, and you get that message again, oh, the cost of your premiums is going up again by 5%, 8%, 12%. One year for me, I think it was 13%. That's an annual increase that goes up and compounds over time. And anybody who's, who's in the workforce knows that this is just sort of assumed as the way it is. And yet, as the more I learned about the way the system actually works, it's quite astonishing, really, because what you find is that there are all these middlemen who have inserted themselves in between the, the doctor or the, the pharmacist and the patient. And each of them is extracting um, a cut, a markup each step of the way and so the PBMs are something that I have been reading the latest investigations and the latest reports. It's been very interesting to see over the years how different audits have been done um, in particular of Medicaid plans and also the state of Montana, I did a lot of work talking to how their employee benefits plan was being taken advantage of by their PBM. And it's this thing, this spread pricing, you know, and these rebates where and your your audience is probably very familiar with spread pricing, but when I learned about it, you know, I'm I'm a layperson, you know, so I'm coming to this as a journalist, I have knowledge about how healthcare works, and yet I'm continually astonished by these um, schemes really that have been created because there's been a lack of transparency where we are being forced to pay way more money than we should be paying. Um, In fact, in 2017, I spent the whole year doing an investigation of what I called wasted medicine, looking at why our healthcare system wastes so much money. It's estimated that 25% of all of our healthcare spending could be attributed to waste, over-treatment, markups, these middlemen who are taking money out of the system but adding no value. And so I've I've done a deep dive on this and I'll just give you a few of these recent audits that have been done in different states. And your audience may be familiar with these, but when I heard about these things, I was just astonished by them. So the one in Ohio is is really the first one that I heard about several years ago where the Ohio State auditor found that spread pricing on generic drugs had cost the Medicaid plan $208 million in a single year. That's 31% of what the Medicaid plan spent went to spread pricing, which is just nothing more than this markup that's adding no value and is just extracting you know, money from, from the, the Medicaid plan. That's 200 million dollars in one year, just for generic drugs that the Ohio taxpayers were just funneling out to, to the PBM in the form of these hidden fees. We also see that Michigan's Medicaid program got overcharged by about 64 million in a two-year period due to spread pricing in Kentucky. Another study found PBMs were making 123 million in 2018 from spread pricing in that state's Medicaid program. And in New York, the Pharmacist Society of the State of New York reported that in 2019, the state's Medicaid program was overcharged by at least $300 million from spread pricing. And so when you look at why do we pay so much for healthcare, And you see that they're doing nothing more than telling people it costs more than it does and then charging them more. That's just, again, we talk about the difference between making a fair profit and profiteering that fits the definition of profiteering. That's That's a deceptive practice that I call it out in my book, but this has been being called out at lots of different levels over the, over the recent years. And the general public has no idea, I mean of course they would have no idea because it's it's not an honest way of doing business it's not It's not being straight up with the consumer to say, "Hey, your generic drug is going to cost ten dollars when actually it costs two dollars, and then somebody's keeping the spread in between <laughs> right you just you just don't expect this kind of thing would be would be allowed, and unfortunately it's it's gone on for a long time
3: so you know, Scott, you're in the you're in the in the channels of this every day in the, you know, in the in the community where you're seeing your patients not be able to pay their medication costs, the, the medication that they need, that they need to stay adherent on. Why has it taken so long for us to make the progress that we've made in the last 18 months versus the last 18 years? To assure the public and assure the the healthcare providers, the pharmacists out there, the pharmacy owners out there, the uh, pharmacy benefit managers play uh, fairly. Why has it taken it this long?
4: That's a good question. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the uh, the purposeful design of you know, hiding that profiteering and and the PBMs and even the health insurers can claim deniability in knowing, but they they obviously know and they can they can, you know, make statements like, Well, you know, Medicaid in these states knew what they were getting. We don't understand what the problem is. And the truth of the matter is is that they likely didn't know what they were getting in these contracts. If you've ever read one of these contracts you know, they could easily be written in three to four pages, but they're hundred, you know, 180 pages. And that's just purposefully written that way to confuse and to make it difficult for even a, a, uh, a sophisticated buyer of these services would have difficulty going through. And of course there are these big name companies that, you know, have this great PR push, selling the fact that they are the only ones in healthcare saving, you know, with their mission to save money, and so they've they've really sold that very well with the politicians, and with the legislatures and yeah. and the the um, uh, uh, contractors, and you know, it's 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 hard to unravel so many years of it going unchecked. And I tell you, you know, if it was left up to the chains to facilitate the amount of information that we've gotten out over the last couple of years, then we would still be five to 10 years ago. And if it wasn't for independent pharmacists being able to, you know, share that information, it would have never gotten out to begin with.
3: Monique, when I think of your member, the, the organization that you have grown into was on purpose, formed by pharmacy owners. The one and only Dave Marley, who helped to form a Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency was so pissed off every day. He said the joy of going to work every day was being sucked out of him because of the PBM practices. When you hear the opportunity that we have as consumers ourselves, but also educated healthcare providers and people that are professionals supporting pharmacies and pharmacists that this never pay the first bill, a book coming out as an educational platform for our consumers. What's your first thoughts uh, when you heard the summary from from Marshall?
1: My first thought is that I'm excited about it. I think this is a book everybody needs to read. Uh, You mentioned Hutt and Dave and the founding of of our organization. And it it was such a job in the beginning days trying to explain what a pharmacy benefit manager was. Now they're so deeply embedded in these large health insurers that they're even less distinguishable than they've ever been. Um, And it's hard. It's, it's, It's a hard thing for people to understand. You'd have to have such insider knowledge. Most people don't have that. And so what happens is they get shut down just mentally, emotionally. They see these, you know, communications and bills coming through and they think, well, I, you know, what can I do? I'm stuck. So I, I think it's exciting. I'm really, really pleased that Marshall, you put the effort and the time in to, to write this book. I think it's a message that, you know, people are now ready to hear and particularly because as you brought up earlier. Just this just this one practice of spread pricing. There's a list of egregious practices, but just this one practice alone will give people some some good insight into why things cost what they do.
3: You know, before we started recording, um, Marshall, you said something that I have a lot of respect for you and what you said. And you said, hey, I'm not trying to say don't pay your bill. I'm trying to say understand what you're paying, why you're paying, what you're paying. Never pay the first bill is this guerrilla guide to health care and American people and employers, they need this. And, and your 15 years of really investigating this and placing this into a book where where people have an ability to really see the inside of uh, of what our, some of our uh, health care insurers and PBMs have done, it's eye-opening. So um, bravo to you.
5: Well, I think- Thank you. I think it starts with a breakdown of trust. You know, I think as, as patients, and I know employers who are sponsoring these health plans, you have a trust that you've built with your pharmacist or with your doctor or with your nurse or your nurse practitioner. And the financial side of the industry, the middlemen, the PBMs, the insurance companies, even the hospital administration, they, they glom onto that trust that we put in our clinicians who care for us and heal us, they, they latch on to that and they convince us that they also have our health and our welfare as their number one concern. And, but I think what's becoming so apparent because the cost is so hard for people to bear, but what's become so apparent is our trust is being betrayed by the financial side of the industry. And so when you have that breakdown of trust, people are beginning to realize, wait, these costs are not justified. So so you start thinking about something like a PBM, which when I first heard of a PBM, I was confused. I had no idea what a PBM is, and and I had probably been covering healthcare as a journalist for years at that point, but I didn't know what a PBM was. The, The healthcare system is so vast and it's so confusing and complex that I think it just took many years for the American public to begin to even be able to engage with some of these things. And then you also asked about another factor, I think, that's come into play here is the, the in the employer-sponsored space, employers have been relying on health insurance brokers to guide them in their decisions about what type of plans they should put in place. And as my reporting has found, and as I show in my book, the employer's purchase of healthcare has been undermined by a massive conflict of interest where the health insurers, the PBMs, and the other vendors are funding those brokers. So the advisors to the employers are being paid by the PBMs and by the health insurers, substantive, substantial bonuses and substantial commissions to keep their business with those PBMs and with those insurers. And so the employers have been trusting their brokers without checking things out without reading all the fine print on these contracts, like Scott mentioned. So these contracts are massive. A typical employer is trying to run his or her or her business. You know, she doesn't have time to to plow through that hundred and eighty page PBM contract. So she or he, this employer is trusting that broker to give them good advice without maybe even realizing that that broker is being paid by the very PBM that they're recommending. And thankfully, these payments um, are now going to become mandatory to be reported to employers starting at the beginning of this coming year. And I think that's gonna open the eyes of a lot of employers because they're gonna be like, oh this broker that was advising me to go with this PBM is also being paid by this PBM. And it's gonna be all sources of compensation are gonna to have to be disclosed. So if it was a fancy vacation that the, that the broker got sent on or if it was an annual bonus or if it was some other retention fee that they, they got, that's all going to be disclosed to the employers. And so my, my hope is that transparency will also cause the employers to go get some independent advice. And When you look at some of the advisors who get paid directly by employers, they would go under the category health benefits advisor instead of health benefits broker. These advisors are steering people away from PBMs. They're steering the employers away from the PBMs that do it the old spread pricing and rebate model, and they're doing no spread pricing pass through rebates if there are rebates so that the health plan recoups that money from the rebates so that money doesn't disappear. So I think the role of these benefits brokers and advisors is also a real key here that I that I hope is going to help also break this open. So again not so people won't pay a fair price and not so people can't make a fair profit but so that we can put an end to the deception and the profiteering. That has been really breaking the backs of, of working Americans and driving them into debt.
3: Absolutely. You know, I think of true scripts, I think of Capital RX, I think of Apro Rx, um, who's one of our podcasters on the network. These organizations are profiting, but they're not profiteering. Uh, they have this pass-through transparent model where they say our proposals are one page long. It's here's the cost of our service. Here's what we do for you. And then on top of that, uh, they're bringing the pharmacists um, insights directly to the physician. So the physician that needs to do a therapeutic interchange or a change to therapy based on what the, the patient needs, based on what the physician says they need is now in control instead of the pharmacy benefit manager making a change because it's not on their controlled formulary where they're making more money and pushing a specific product rather than what's in the best interest of the patient. So bravo to you understanding that facet of this because that's actually what this is all about in PBM reform. And Monica, bring up the other facets other than the spread pricing that you know firsthand from the membership intelligence that you get exposed to all the time um, that are some major issues that we're, we're trying to get changed through PBM reform?
1: Oh, gosh, how much time have you got? There's, you know, patient steering is an issue. Mandatory mail order is an issue. Uh, one of my particular anti-favorites, I guess you would call it, is the copay accumulator. This this idea somebody came up with that when a patient gets copay assistance from Uh, a manufacturer, a coupon, that the amount that the patient paid plus the assistance cannot count toward their deductible, even though everybody in the entire chain was paid. Uh, There's what they do to the providers. You know, there's this, you know, back end, which is particularly insidious where they are nickel and diming pharmacies for everything from being a member of this network, which by the way, PBMs have to construct a network. So they have to construct that because they have to show uh, adequate coverage. And then they turn around and they charge the pharmacies for being in that network. And then they charge them for everyday actions. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost like we need a whole other book by Marshall about what happens to providers on the yeah. other side of working with a third party administrator. Right. Uh, yeah, Scott could probably jump in you know, on this as well, but it, it really comes down to, when you have so many little cuts coming here and there, those do find their way back to the plan payer and who is always the employer, to the patient, to the taxpayer, and it, it just serves to drive those prices up little by little by little, while at the same time, these companies say, well, we can't have transparency because it will drive prices up, which is the weirdest thing ever. Knowing how the sausage made is somehow going to make the sausage more expensive. It just, you stop to think about it. It just, it makes no sense.
5: I, I love that argument about transparency driving the prices higher, if that argument were true, then we should take all the prices off all the menus at all the restaurants we go to. We should stop having airlines post their prices online. We should really, I mean if that if that made rational sense, then we need to actually stop showing the prices in every other industry. In fact, I'm in the market right now for a for a used car. I would I mean if it if it's really sensible not to show the prices, I should go down to the dealer down here on Route 22 near my house, and I should just pick up that Honda Accord, and then I should just tell him, just send me, send me the bill for that thing. Just send it. I don't, I don't need to know how much it is. Just, it's nonsense to think that, that transparency is a bad idea, and it's not something we accept in any other consumer enterprise. But somehow the healthcare industry has held on to this. And um, I want to tell you something else that one of my colleagues at ProPublica did with the New York Times, and this is also something I included in the book. They wanted to see if their insurance plans that they were on would give them the best prices on pharmacy and on different drugs. So that one of them was covered by OptumRx, which is you know United Health Group. The other was covered by Express Scripts. Two of, you know, those are two of the biggest players in the PBM world. And I don't know how y'all feel about GoodRx, but what the reporters did is they looked up the GoodRx prices on 100 commonly prescribed drugs, and then they checked their prices against their own health plans. And what they found is that of these 100, um, they found better prices on GoodRx for at least 40 of the 100 most prescribed drugs. So again, they had the two biggest P, two of the biggest PBMs, they could get better prices on GoodRx. And so regardless of what people feel about GoodRx or whether that's the best price, in fact, a lot of those drugs were available, they found for $4 cash at Walmart. Mm-hmm. So the point here is that there are so many behind the, scene, behind the scenes secret games going on that it's, it's designed to exploit consumers and cause them to pay more than they should. And I would say that that's not a fair way to treat consumers. I don't think that that's, that's right. And so consumers need to be aware and employers funding these plans need to be aware that these games are baked in to the way the big PBMs play. And Monique, you're pointing out even all these other things, right? Like these are just uh, spread pricing and rebates are kind of the big things that people talk a lot about. but there are lots of other things going on too behind the scenes that we have we have not even probably yet identified.
1: Yeah. And to your point, it's interesting because we're, today we're talking about the patient point of view. And my particular frustration as a patient myself is the degree to which these games have caused a disruption of trust with my Providers. Uh, yes. There shouldn't be a need for Good Rx. And the founder of GoodRx has has said this himself. Yes. Uh, it's the, the majority of the Good Rx customers are actually people with insurance. It should say something that you can get a better price on Good Rx than you can with your own insurance. What's actually going on in the background is that PBMs have supplied these prices to GoodRx. So really what's happening is a, a patient using that card. Is price shopping against other health plans, contracted prices, which is a weird kind of game to be yeah. playing. But the result is that you end up in a system where providers are beaten down, that they're not taken care of. Uh, and by taken care of, I mean, I mean at the most basic level, the ability to do the job and be paid for the job, not subsidized by paying out of their own pocket in order to, to treat a patient, which is, you know, classically what's happening in pharmacy everywhere. But at the same time, you have patients. They don't. They don't know this. They don't understand this. At some level, they just kind of don't care. They just want their medicine. It's just so broken, you know. And and anyway, so I'll I'll stop there because I'll yeah. you know, don't fall off my soapbox. But
3: so frustrating. Scott's team, his pharmacists, his technicians, they will get screamed at on occasion by their patients who are standing in front of the counter because something has changed impacting the payment that they have to make in order to get that medication, that vital medication. These people are um, having to budget uh, very closely. You know, it's, it's a matter of, um, like you said, cutting a pill in half or something. But Scott, that's a prime example of, of if, if Marshall is shopping for a used car and the Honda Accord is overpriced by 300%, he can look at that sales guy or that sales lady or that entity and say, I'm not paying this, you know, and, and have a direct connection to that entity, knowing that they set the price. But when they're standing in front of your, your counter, Scott, and they're looking at you or they're looking at your pharmacist or your technician, that person is not in control of that price. The consumer has no idea That someone at OptumRx's Roundtable or Express Scripts or uh, CVS Caremark, they're the ones setting in motion what this consumer has to put up with. And they have no power other than to possibly lose the pharmacy that they trust, that they have... seen 10 times out of one to their, to their primary care physician. And now they have to leave them because they have to go to mandatory mail order because their insurance won't pay. Otherwise, this is criminal. This is absolutely criminal.
4: Yeah. I would say a lot of the, the buzzwords, you know, going around now when you're talking about, especially, you know, consumer, you know, giving the consumer the ability to do what's in their best interest to, um, empower the consumer. And you know some of the rules that they're enforcing now from you know the, um, uh, the Obamacare um, mandates that I guess somehow got overlooked for so long was that you know patients had a right to see their pricing before they make choice. And so as they're trying to enforce that on the hospital side, I, you know, my question is this: how is it empowering the consumer? when they have no idea what drug prices are paid to who and to where and how much of that is being taken off the top and what the true cost would be. And even us trying to get that information as an organization with PUT, it's difficult at best, impossible most of the time. And they do hide behind that proprietary you know, notion, but you can't empower consumers in a model that's that that lacks that much transparency. And, you know, we talk about free markets, you know, this is the most broken non-free market entity, you know, other, other than, you know, maybe, uh, the, the power companies that are run by, you know, these entities where there's zero competition. And when they're given the power and the authority to dictate where you buy your healthcare, that's a problem because that only leads to increased costs and, and worse care.
3: This is an opportunity, Marshall, that I'm excited about because you're giving the consumer a manual of what to do. So you're spelling out and you're giving details that, that, the, that the consumer can understand through this book, Never Pay the First Bill, but you're also giving them the ability and coaching them to analyze and contest your medical bills so that they don't pay what they shouldn't be paying to obtain billing codes for a procedure in advance. I mean, bravo, I have to give you a a clap for that. Write in an appropriate treatment clause before signing financial documents and getting uh, your way by uh, suing in small claims court if in fact it comes to that. So this is not only um, uncovering some of the mystery of the insurance um, carriers and and how that mechanism works, but you're also giving some coaching.
5: Yeah, I'm trying to make it a how-to guide so people can see kind of the hidden healthcare hacks that the insiders put into place to save themselves and their families a lot of money. I mean, if you put these tips into place, you could save hundreds or thousands of dollars per healthcare interaction. And then of course, health plans can save even more. So I, I have eight chapters devoted to what individuals can do and then I have three chapters for employers where I'm really trying to urge employers to see how this system is working, see how the deck is stacked against you, see how you're being manipulated and now wake up and stop doing things the same way. I I really think that employers and consumers have an incredible amount of power. And we have never actually started um, asserting ourselves because we haven't known how things work. And a lot of people don't have the disposition to push back or they don't want to think about it. It's so complicated. And so I know that there are gonna be a lot of people who are gonna look at my book and say, it's not worth it, it's too big of a hassle. I'll just pay the bill, or I don't know how to handle it. I'll just let it go to collections. That's true. There's going to be a lot of people like that. But we have about 180 million Americans in this category of being under uh, employer-sponsored health plans or being uninsured. If we even had 1% of that body of, of, of that pool of people, if we had 2 million people, imagine, pushing back against the system, saying that it's no longer fair to hide these prices, insisting that we get the lowest possible price, not just the price that our insurance company or PBM has negotiated behind the scenes without our knowledge of it, we should see the lowest available price and then be offered to pay that, right? That that would be a fair deal. if we all started doing that, I think we do have a lot of power because we actually have what they need to survive, which is money. We have the money. We hold the power when we have the money. And so if we could start asserting that power and influence in a way that's savvy and directed by rewarding the people who don't cheat us and by avoiding the people who do, it's really quite simple. Find the people who are betraying you and being deceptive. Do not give them your business. (laughs) And then the ones because there's a spectrum right i mean at propublica we do investigative stories so we focus on the bad actors a lot right because they're investigative stories but there's a lot of good actors out there and so we need to differentiate between the bad apples and the and the 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 white hats you know the the people in the industry who are being fair and then we need to reward those people who are fair by giving them all of our business That's it right. really yeah. is that simple and i think if the employers and consumers began to realize just how exploitative this system can be. If they woke up to that, I think that it would evoke in them a certain amount of outrage, right? Wait a minute, you're charging me more than you should because I'm desperate? You know, I think a great example of this, again, I'm continually astonished as these reports come out but did you all see that Senate Finance Committee report that came out about the insulin prices? I think it came out earlier this year and it didn't get as much attention as it should have because we, we've all been consumed with COVID. But this report looked at, I think it was 100,000 pages of internal documents from PBMs and drug manufacturers. And it was examining why has the price of insulin skyrocketed in recent years? And what they found is there was no improvement to the drug. So it's not like insulin suddenly got better, and so the price increase was justified. But they found that the, the, the forces worked together to raise and raise and raise and raise. The middlemen worked in concert to raise that price of insulin to the point that it is unaffordable to many diabetics. You have diabetics going without insulin and rationing their insulin because they cannot afford it. And the only reason they can't afford it is because the industry has been profiteering on the price of insulin. And so once people I, th- I think once people realize just how far astray our system has gone, it might cause them to decide that they want to do something about it. And if they decided that and had the conviction to push back, they could put they could lead an enormous amount of change.
3: I really like the fact in a, a short preview of your book, how you personalize this because it hit home for you and your brother and your concern for your mom and dad and your dad's health and what they went through with the facility that he was um, being cared for and a um, a medication that came up that she didn't recognize and she caught. Can you kind of share a little bit of that story with our with our listeners?
5: Yeah, so my my mom cares for my dad. My dad has dementia. And in the fall of 2019, we had my dad, um, he, he has a very low level of dementia. So we had him go into a, a facility where he could be cared for. And then my mom and my brother in Colorado is where, where they live. They would go visit him every day and pick him up and take him out to events and things like that. But my mom just needed that break. So... My mom noticed that a sudden change in my dad's behavior and she didn't know, notice what it was. She just thought he might have a hard time adjusting to the facility or something, but he was almost behaving in a um, real slow, just like he was in a bit of a stupor, but she, it was something very pronounced. While she was looking at her pharmacy um, records, they came in the mail a month or so later And she saw that somehow my mom has power of attorney over my dad. So any care needs to be run through my mom. My mom has to be informed in it with every decision of every treatment my dad gets. Well, unknown to her, a nurse practitioner had examined my dad and for some reason put him on Tamsulosin. And Tamsulosin, one of the side effects can be um, drowsiness and different types of behavior in patients who have dementia. And so it looked like this drug, which should not have been given to my dad had caused this side effect. And sure enough, my mom saw that he was on this drug that he wasn't supposed to be on. She called the facility and they immediately took him off the drug and he bounced right back. He recovered very quickly and got back to his normal self, You know, still um, hampered by the dementia, but no longer um, in the same stupor that he had been in. And so then my mom uh, didn't know what to do. and and this this whole thing happened right at the time I got the contract to write, never pay the first bill. So I, I started digging into this case and looking into what happened. And I called the nurse practitioner, and to her credit, she talked to me. And what she told me happened, is that a long-term care pharmacy that worked with that facility had sent a refill request to my mom for a drug that my dad had never been on. And the nurse practitioner, having a new patient, she did not look at his records. She did not notice that he wasn't even on this drug. She just approved the refill request. So somehow a mistake was made in the system The nurse practitioner was extremely apologetic. She admitted the mistake. She apologized for it. And she said she would never again approve a refill request without checking the patient's records. I really appreciated that she did that because in many cases, when medical errors occur, people spend so much time denying that it happened because they're so afraid of liability that the family is essentially shunned. They're not told the truth about what happened. So I really appreciate it. And I I commend her for telling the truth on that. But then they had the audacity to send my mom a bill (laughs) for the the exam that had led, I guess, that same nurse practitioner had done a separate exam that wasn't related to the Tampsilosin. But um, so then I had the process of fighting that bill with that facility with that nurse practitioner's group, which eventually I was able to give that bill wave too, but it was a battle. And I used that battle to illustrate the type of issues and forces we're up against as patients. You know, sometimes it is a battle. It's going to require persistence. It's going to require asking a lot of questions. People are going to use social pressure to make you feel like you shouldn't ask questions, even though the questions you're asking are very reasonable. They're going to say things like, well, no one ever asks us for the price. So, you know, it, we're not going to be able to get it for you. That's no excuse. They're going to try and use whatever leverage they have. So we have to persist and, and push through these things. And we won't always be successful, right? We won't always get a better deal. We won't always get fair, fair treatment. But at least if we can stand up for ourselves and advocate for what's right. I think that there's a lot of moral force in just each individual standing up for themselves and not letting the system steamroll them. And so in this case, I was able to get the bill waived and the nurse practitioner did acknowledge the error. Um, so so that that had a, a good outcome, but they still never told me how that error happened to begin with. The long-term care pharmacy, I never got the name of that pharmacy, so i that uh, was the accountability happening at that level? I, I don't really know. So there are so many ways things can go wrong, and we as consumers can be easily fatigued or beaten down by the system. but we if we don't push back, then it's just going to keep getting worse. And so we have to expect that the entrenched you know, special interests who are making all this money from us, of course, they're going to resist when we fight back. We need to expect that, and then we need to keep pushing forward even more. And find the people who will treat us fairly and charge us fairly.
3: Give them our business, and if people won't be fair with us, let's let's avoid them. That's great. Reason number five is our healthcare system is not broken. It would make it was made this way, and that's a uh, that's on chapter uh, that's a uh, on page seventeen of the book. I'm excited about that section because it it really plays into um, what we go through in the pharmacy industry and how pharmacists desire to care for uh, their patients, the way that they've been trained to 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 care for them. And I want to bring uh, back Scott into the uh, conversation for this reason. Scott's part of his community. So going back to that uh, used car, um, you know establishment, if that used car establishment, In your community, Marshall was known to constantly cheat people uh, year after year, um, car after car. They were cheating people. They would not be welcome in that community. And as a, a matter of fact, their business would die. Scott is a community pharmacy owner. If he doesn't treat his patients the way that he wants his parents to be treated, the way that he wants his family to be treated as part of the community, he will not stay in business. But the perception of many of his customers that look at him and what he provides and the services he provides and what they have to pay—that's not in Scott's control. And I just think that that, in and of itself, goes back to that quote and that chat and that reason number five: our healthcare system is not broken; it was made that way. The challenges that pharmacists and pharmacy owners and long-term care pharmacy owners and specialty pharmacy owners. The challenges that they face to keep customers healthy, sometimes de-prescribing, not you know polypharmacy and increasing right. drugs, but de-prescribing is in best interest of the patient. None of that's in their favor with this existing model. That's right, Scott. I just wanted to yeah I'd
4: say that. Um, yeah, I'd say I'd say a um, couple things. Number one, I, I love the the, the chapter. Um, description and I want to take it even a little bit further because I've had this thought multiple uh, times. You know, For years we've been saying this is unsustainable. This is unsustainable. The reimbursement model is not sustainable. How far does the reimbursement model from the PBMs to the pharmacies have to go before enough is enough and we literally lose on everything? Well, we, we're still in that downward spiral in terms of, of, of reimbursement and, you know, taking, you know, losses nine years ago when I opened in the 5 to 10% range where you win some, lose some, which is what the lobbyists for PCMA like to say, you know, 10 years ago, that was the case. You win some, you lose some. Now my loss is close to 30 to 35% on everything I fill. And that's before they take retroactive fees quarterly. Um, the idea that uh uh I'm keeping, you know, this money that is coming from my clients either through uh a co-payment or, or deductible, um is a difficult task to explain that ultimately I, I'm not keeping, you know, you know, your Humana dollars that you just spent there. They're gonna take that back from me in in, in three to six months. Um I'm gonna profit, you know, if you call it a profit, I'm going to be paid, you know, between eight, you know, maybe ten dollars if I'm lucky on a generic medication where Humana is going to take one hundred and thirty of it of what you paid. And so, yeah, that's a difficult conversation to have. Ironically, though, it's not so difficult when it comes to the chains, especially the PBM affiliated chains, where it is designed to funnel business to them. So they can be as bad as they want to in their communities, and patients don't have the choice to go somewhere else if they want to use their health insurance. So they're being forced to go to these terrible, you know, cowherding type community pharmacies. And I'm not trying to to be trodden, you know, my colleagues that work in the chains, but their leadership, their, their uh, executive bloat has made it. So that they can't function as professionals in their jobs. They're merely turning out patients and patients and pills. And that's the scariest thing of all. But part of your chapter where you say, is it designed this way? Yes, it is. But I think that there's a component that has taken it further than what the design originally intent. And that component is greed and unfettered, um, you know, ability to profiteer without much recourse. And so- You know, it is designed this way, but I assure you it's gone way past where the design, I'm sure, was originally intended because they're getting away with it. And they and and the greed says to them that, hey, we can continue to get away with it.
3: The book is called Never Pay the First Bill and Other Ways to Fight the Healthcare System and Win. Marshall Allen, uh, you're a champion of the people. We appreciate you. We'll be um, marketing this book through social media. Uh, Listeners, If you're listening, you have a chance to get a copy of this through the Pharmacy Podcast Network, as well as Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. Monique and Scott, um, I thank you for being guests on today's episode, this special episode. And a special thank you to Marshall Allen. Thank you so much. Thank you. And with that- Great conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast.
2: PBM reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001.